and welcome back to Over the Top Football. I'm joined as ever with John. John, how are you doing today? All good, Rob. We're getting into the flow of Premier League football and now we're at international phase again, so I uh, can complain about that, but I won't. But all good. Solid start of the season for both Liverpool and Spurs. Yeah, really nice start to the season. Um, certainly, I'm happy that we've played all our games. I hear you might need to replay a couple. We should. No, I, I'm, I'm joking. I'm not one of these fans who actually think we should replay anything. Um, I mean, I think we'll get into VAR and refereeing disaster classes over the last few weeks during the episode, but I am not an advocate for any form of replay. I think that, uh, you know, with these types of football and decisions, some go for you, some go against you. Without VAR, with VAR, it's an absolute shambles that it was an incorrect decision, but there should be no game replayed. I think Spurs took the victory and uh, and we move on and it's just on us to make up those lost three points somewhere else in the season yeah definitely uh sometimes you get i'm not i'm not going to compl- i'm not going to say that it's unjust or whatever it's a shocking decision it absolutely shouldn't happen but i, I think the red cards were red cards in my eyes but yeah the uh the offside one's a bit unforgivable so we definitely got away with one there but you ride some luck sometimes. Tottenham have had a few years of some dodgy decisions with Liverpool, so uh, you kind of just have to roll with it and be be good enough. I think that's one of the things that Man City have done so well over the last few years, that they're just that good that it doesn't matter if one bad decision goes against them because if you win 3-0, then you win 3-1 still. Yeah, I mean, I would disagree with the red cards in fairness. As you would probably expect, but for me, Jones oh, is definitely not a record. So for me, under the current letter of the law, that is a red card. So I think it's it's just not though. And and no. I'll, I'll give you, I'll tell you what my issue with it is. It's not even the tackle, right? Because if the referee had given a red, then that's that's sort of fine for me. Like I'll accept that if the referee's given a red, the referee's given a yellow. And then VAR have intervened and sent them over to a screen where it's a still image for about 10 seconds and then showed a slow replay. So the whole process is, I think, more annoyed me anyway, possibly more Liverpool fans, but it's the way in which the red card was given is my problem. If it had been a red card and they stuck with it, no problem. We move on, we get on with it. But the fact it was a yellow, you know, it didn't actually show the first contact was with the ball and then he went over the ball, right? No problem at all. If it was given as a red and he keeps it, grand. But the fact it was given as a yellow, the process was so flawed in the overturning of it. The VAR official made the decision and the referee sort of just went ahead with it. The second one I actually have no complaints about, right? Obviously, the first tackle isn't a yellow, but you could say the same on Udogi's tackle against Gakpo, where he got the ball and got given a yellow card as well. So the first one, you get those all around the pitch in terms of a yellow card being given for a foul that wasn't actually committed. That's fine. It was pure stupidity. Launching himself in, even though he didn't fully touch him as well the second time around, it was stupidity launching himself in, knowing he was going to get another second yellow. So I, I have no actual complaints about Jota's red card. People people everywhere complaining about it. It was stupidity why he got sent off. It wasn't. He allowed the referee to make that decision. And in doing that, you know, he's cost him his team a significant amount in that game and it was stupidity even though the first one definitely wasn't yellow 
Yeah, I think uh, he definitely does make contact on the second one. I think, yeah, that's definitely a yellow. And why I say I think the first one is, I don't think the VAR room actually gave the referee a decision. Controversially, I don't think the referee had that bad a game. Like, there was a few incidents outside no, he had of a these stinker. major ones. No, no, outside he had, of these He had an absolute ones. stinker. Listen to what I, I could talk you through Jonathan. 10 points top ahead. No, in between decisions, fine. However, the big ones, which everyone's slating him for, it's actually the fault of the backroom staff. So the fact that yeah. he goes over to the screen and he's given a still image, at that point, he's given no choice but to send Curtis Jones off. That is a failing. I've never seen that before. I've never seen them. The first thing that they show is a still image. Um, no, but I think that's what the issue is. And and I actually take your point as well that, like, the he gave a yellow card which in my opinion was the right decision but yeah why did he show a still image for it was legitimately about seven or eight seconds yeah it was so that's why i kind of say like under under the current laws the studs up the high foot i can completely see it i think and the problem is now they're gonna have to wait the entire season i think there's been a few of these Sometimes you get a red. Um, I remember Casemiro getting a red in similar circumstances where he plays the ball first and goes over the top. I think they may need to make an amendment to that law where it's um, it's almost it's almost just a straight yellow if you get caught in that unfortunate position. However, you have won the ball first um, because it does it flicks up off your studs. It puts you in an awkward position. It it doesn't mean that the challenge isn't dangerous, but even the momentum off the ball means you're far less likely to break a leg doing that. And we don't want football to become uncompetitive where players are thinking what to do with their feet and pulling out of some of these challenges. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think the law helps get you the right decision there. It's too open to interpretation. Um, and then the offside fiasco, obviously, is nothing really to do with the ref. He's gets told what to do by the VAR room. And I think the VAR room bottled it when they realized that play had um recommenced oh that that audio is some of the worst stuff you'll hear and how that man's still in a job i have no clue and it's just it it's it literally was all over the place in fairness i don't know how you're supposed to make a decision when that's how their communication is being managed it was an absolute shambles from start to finish and the only fellow who (laughs) came out looking good out of it all was the only one that wasn't an actual official um shambles and it, it just sort of showed for me and as well nobody's actually discussing like they're raising it in terms of you know daz are you happy with this and if you're mid 40s and being called daz that's the first problem the second problem is there's no form of professionalism there it's just an old boys club making decisions and they're their own judge jury and prosecutioner you know there's no rules you know they make their own decisions they stand up for themselves. They send their old mates out to do the media for them to defend themselves. And it's just an absolute shambles. Like there was no set questions they should have asked. Even if they asked three set questions, like, you know, on-field decision is offside. Will you review this? Yes. You know, or have lines been drawn? Is the player onside, offside? He's onside. Like it was just a shambles and it led to the wrong decision. And then after that, it was it actually wasn't put back to the referee apparently, even though I think that that's nonsense, and um, that the wrong decision had been made. And at that point, for the first time potentially ever, you have a VAR team knowing that they got the wrong decision and doing nothing about it. 
yeah, yeah, I, I don't really know what more to say than that. I think potentially we need to do a how to fix far episode two because we did our episode one which i think had lots of good decisions and things like this would have never happened under there but yeah maybe we need to do a full episode on how to fix it as boring as it is we need to come up with the solutions to fix the game so as kind of a, a second point on some of this refereeing i also thought some of the refereeing this weekend last weekend was particularly poor um particularly looking at second yellows. So Yves Basuma in the Tottenham-Luton game, I think fully deserved. He did dive well-deserved. I saw uh, Mark Goldbridge actually said Tottenham were a bit unlucky there just because of inconsistency. You don't often see it given. I think just because it's inconsistent doesn't mean that the right decision wasn't made, but there were several other ones. Kovacic got lucky. Bruno Gimaraes, if you saw that game, got very, very lucky. What's your thoughts on... Uh, kind of a lack of second yellows, maybe refs a bit afraid to give red cards. Yeah, I mean, this weekend was another example of absolute chaos from the refereeing perspective. I mean, the Arsenal one is probably the worst one of the weekend in terms of refereeing mistakes. In regards to the first one, arguably could be a red. I don't know what you think. I think it's it's an amber. <laughs> it could be either way. Yeah. And the second one is just a stonewall red. It's a, it's a yellow card, sorry. Which means Kovacic should have been sent off for, for two tackles that were very, very similar in fairness. But the second one just wasn't as high. So it is definitely a yellow. But you, you're probably on one and a half red cards there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, difficult because had Man City lost that game 1-0 and Kovacic got sent off. I don't think you'd have heard the end of it from Pep. Sometimes as a referee, it's difficult because you make the right decision. But if you upset the wrong fan base, then you never hear the end of it. And I do think that comes into things. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even if you think, though, you've mentioned Basuma. I mean, Lamina got a second yellow late into the game in that game as well. That was well-deserved, right? Could have been seen as soft in regards to a little tug. But, you know definitely definitely a second yellow card people are having these conversations based on the Tomiyasu one earlier in the season in terms of that was a soft second yellow but if you compare Kovacic to Tomiyasu it's night and day and Kovacic just should have been sent off and I'm more pleased for Arsenal that they have a legitimate 11 against 11 victory against Man City um, and City over the last few weeks without Rodri have sort of shown a weakness that a lot of teams will massively benefit from in terms of confidence when going to the Etihad and, and hosting City as well throughout the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, provided Rodri's not on the starting sheet, but I think they need to try and address that in January, actually, is getting some proper cover in, particularly if he's going to persist with not really giving Phillips game time. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting. I, I agree with the Lamina one, actually. I, I saw that. I think that is definitely a second yellow as well. So, just a bit more consistency over these things, I think. Like, may maybe they need to come out at the start of next season and properly address this. Just like, what are we going to count as a second yellow? One idea I had is, I think it is fair generally to not give a second yellow as easily as you give the first. And there are more yellow cards getting dished out this season because they're properly stamping down on descent and things like that. And realistically, no one really wants someone sent off for descent. So... Yeah. What can they clarify what is like a, a warning that next time you'll be off, maybe? 
Yeah, I mean, you say it, and it is to do with consistency. That's why people are getting so annoyed. And I think it was actually Jonathan Walters on Twitter this weekend was come out and say that it's well known within clubs that there is a higher bar for the second yellow. But that, that doesn't excuse the Kovacic decision because it's the same referee that sent off uh, Gabriel Martinelli last season for two yellow cards in one sort of attack where he pulled someone back if Matic was played and then he fouled someone and he gave him two yellows. So there's zero consistency there from that same referee um, and Mike Oliver, Michael Oliver. So yeah, th- there does need to be consistency, but whenever you're being led by a bunch of clowns, then you're never going to get that. Yeah, fair enough. I can uh, hear the bitterness in your voice from um, a couple of weekends ago still ringing true. So we'll move on. Not even a few weekends ago. I mean, th- th- this weekend, again, Liverpool against Brighton, Gross pulls back uh, Sobosly in the box and immediately I sent into our group chat, anyone watching this game, that's a blatant red card, no? And we had the double jeopardy uh, debate and I was like, no, no, if you don't try to play the ball, then double jeopardy doesn't come into account. It's a red card. And following on from Mike Dean looking like an absolute clown on Sky Sports as well, where he was stating the players don't know the rules. VAR officials didn't know the rules and that didn't lead to a straight red card for your mate Pascal Gross, which it should have done. And again, 10 against 11 changes the dynamic of the game when Liverpool are about to take a penalty to take the lead. So there's been another VAR mess up, in my opinion, that has led to us dropping points. And it's just baffling to me that clubs, whether it's Spurs, Arsenal, City, Liverpool, it's every club that will get hit by this. It's not, oh, feel sorry for Liverpool here. Every club will take the brunt of bad refereeing decisions throughout the course of the season. But it's clubs are spending millions on scouting departments, um, millions and millions on buying these top-class players, employing the best coaches. They're ruthless in terms of managing, uh, sacking managers all over the place if it's not working. But yet these officials are being allowed to do whatever they want to do and not being held accountable for it. And it's costing teams points. And it's mental that inability to do your actual job is leading to loss of potentially millions for these clubs and, and they can do absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a difficult one. You kind of just have to hope it doesn't happen to you in a game that really matters. But yes, do you think overall VAR has actually improved refereeing decisions? Would you Would you keep it if no changes were made for the next three seasons? No, no, I think it's actually made ref. I think we've discussed this before in, in the other, other VAR podcast, which people should go back and listen to. But I, I still absolutely believe that having VAR in place has actually decreased the quality of refereeing in the Premier League. One of the recommendations that we made on that episode, um, if you are going to go listen to it or if you have listened to it already, you know that one of the recommendations I made was having a VAR team and having a refereeing team because there is that line that, again, Mike Dean came out to look like an idiot a few weeks ago saying he didn't send his mate over to the screen because he had a tough day, right? It, it's leading to more mistakes. It's leading to greater reliance on VAR, um, which, in my opinion, is leading to less decisions being made on the pitch and more mistakes being made as a whole. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think, though... I think the quality of refereeing's gone down just because they know they have a get out of jail card. But I do think that 
which is obviously awful then when they're kind of told generally the VAR team to try and stick with the referee's on-field decision. Um, I do think there are fewer mistakes getting made, though, overall. Um, more things kind of getting checked that might have been missed. Um, there's a bit more consistency. But yeah, I think considering we were sold it as something that could be perfect, it's so far from that at the minute that, yeah, it definitely needs iterating. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's the type of thing, like, there should be no mistakes being made. And it's yeah. the mistakes, like, why did they not have semi-automated offsides? Like, why did they reject that? Be too easy. Can't have... Uh, the- yeah. The technology taking over. You've seen iRobot. <laughs> yeah, it just means that they're potentially doing one of their mates out of a job, but it's it's absolutely laughable in terms of how the referee and VAR is being managed in, in the Premier League. And I've heard loads of championship fans who have been in the Premier League um, in recent seasons saying it's just such a breath of fresh air being back in the championship where there is no VAR and you can sit in the pub and talk about, oh, I thought that was the wrong decision or that was the wrong decision. But realistically, with VAR, we're talking about it for weeks because the decisions are so bad that it, it causes even greater levels of, of controversy. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so next up, I want to talk a bit about the Champions League, actually. And does anybody want to win this competition? You had losses for some of the favourites. Um, I don't think Real Madrid looked particularly good. I caught their game against Napoli. I mean, winning away is is impressive, but I don't think, yeah, they... Really looked brilliant. Um, Bayern Munich struggled away at Copenhagen as well. So you had PSG taking a loss, United and Arsenal, who were potentially dark horses for the competition, losing. Yeah. what What's your take on the, that tournament so far? And who's looking good in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, you'd raised this as a question a few weeks ago. And, um, and I sort of looked and thought, you know, PSG have a much more balanced team than they did, I think, for many years with the likes of Guardian midfield. And then they absolutely got demolished by, by Newcastle. So I have no idea. And I completely agree with you in terms of, you know, the likes of Arsenal losing United. You look at Real Madrid, surely they can't do it with Hostelou up front, even though Bellingham's absolutely on fire. Again, if I had to pick one right now, gone to head, like I don't think City have been overly impressive this season as well with the, the midfield weaknesses, I think, that they do have and they've shown. Um, gone to head. Bayern Munich probably have the best squad and and would probably be my pick, but I say that with zero confidence. Yeah, I tell so they were my uh my preseason pick. I tell you who is actually having a great time of it is Matthias Tell. So obviously Harry Kane's kind of like more of a leading story, more goals than games. But Matthias Tell in so, such limited minutes already has four or five goals this year. Yeah, and he looks properly impressive apparently there's quite a bit of mentorship from Kane already with tell um and you can you can pardon the pun you can tell um with the quality of finishes that he's he's put in in the first few games of the season definitely and puns like that are a great reason to turn on notifications and listen to over the top football <laughs> every week on apple or spotify nice nice plug um but I don't know. I mean, is this, we talked about it being the weakest Premier League for many years. Is this the weakest Champions League? And, and like, why is that the case? I think quite possibly. I think it's, um, we're caught in between a couple of generations, right? I think Neymar moving to Saudi. There were a few articles kind of going out at the time, like the prince who was never king and 
it was kind of this seismic shift because you had Benzema go, Kante go. Obviously, these are Champions League winning stars. Ronaldo had gone the year before. Messi's now left the division. So I just I do think football's in a slight transition period because I think you can say the same going into this year's Euros. It seems the weakest one for a little while. But I do think there are stars who are starting to stake their claim. Um, I think after this Ballon d'Or, there is actually one in October. The next one is super up for grabs. Um, would it be a Haaland? Would it be a Bellingham? Could a Liao? Could a Musiala? Um, I think, yeah, the next uh, world star will really come, come to the fore because not only do you have the next crop coming through, you've not got a litany of players who are, say, 27 to 30 to come and replace say, like someone like De Bruyne, who's starting to age out the game a little bit. Obviously, Salah's not getting younger, but putting up some really solid numbers this year. So, yeah, I think football's just in a slight transitional phase and we almost need to let it play out. I think by the end of this season's Champions League, with some potentially really solid performances from Real and Vinny and Rodrigo and Bellingham and players like that stepping up, we could kind of look back at it a little differently. But yeah, going into it now, there seems to be obvious flaws with pretty much every squad in it, apart from maybe Manchester City when they're fully fit. I think obviously they have squad depth issues, but their starting eleven is pretty formidable. But yeah, I, I would effectively say it's that from my eyes that football's just in a slight transitional zone. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult not to agree with it. I think that is probably the case. Probably as well, there is, I think we're finally starting to see some tightening of the financial fair play rules in regards to spend and, you know, players, you know, clubs can't just bring in all the players that they want um, anymore. And I think we've seen that with even the likes of Hoslu for Real Madrid, them not going out and signing someone absolutely massive in the summer to play centre forward, or maybe they're just waiting for killing Mbappe, I don't know. Um, United obviously had to sign Amrabat on a loan deal um, potentially with you know multiple payments with the option there or obligation to buy so I don't know whether it's that um, there is definitely the likes of a Rafael who looks like an upcomer Shiravella um, definitely pronouncing that incorrectly seem you know very committed to their current teams and they're probably the next big players to get a move and, and fill in some of the voids at the bigger clubs but I think you know whenever Real Madrid aren't what they were I say that tongue-in-cheek because they're Real Madrid and they'll probably win it this year. Barcelona certainly aren't what they were. Uh, Diego Simeone's Athletic Madrid aren't as troublesome as they used to be. Serie A with Juventus, AC Milan Inter all beatable um, and have their own financial issues. So yeah, it's just coming down to competitiveness in regards to finances as well and players that they can attract and Juventus have massively dropped off. You can compare them 10 years ago. AC Milan from 20 years ago, Inter Milan from then as well. And it's becoming Spain against England, in my opinion, because PSG still haven't been able to step up. Yeah, and you can definitely say that it's a Spain versus England tournament when we both selected Bayern as the favourites to win. Yep, yep, yep. Forgot about that one. Got him. <laughs> um, got him. But, yeah, you still you still think immediately whenever you think of these tournaments, you know, is, there, is it going to be Real Madrid? Is it going to be Barcelona? Is it going to be City? Is it going to be United? or Chelsea, whoever it might be. And then if you think no to all those answers, okay, then it's Bayern Munich, is my point. But I just think 
they have the best all-round squad. I think they will address centre midfield in January, which is why I'm saying Bayern Munich as well. But if you watch the Munich-United game a few weeks ago, it was 4-3, but that absolutely flattered United, that scoreline. And they will address centre defence midfield. You look at the squad depth that they have at centre-half at the minute as well. And obviously they've got Tell, uh, Gnabry, Sané, and of course Harry Kane up there doing doing the job for Bayern Munich. So for me, they have the most all-round squad, but you pick them having sort of initially ruled out the Spanish and English clubs, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, uh, I actually agree. And I think the January point's a good point that potentially we're not looking at some of these squads in their final form. I also think there's a bit of blood on the hands of the English clubs. Like England has way more money than any of the other European nations at the minute. And certainly in the case of Chelsea, Man United right now, Tottenham are in transition. There's there's not been a brilliant spend or use of some of that money and those resources. So that overall makes the whole um, Champions League worse because, yeah, not only is it um, them not performing properly and giving a good level of competition, it's maybe not spending the money in the right places so that, I don't know, say if they were doing a particularly good job, a Real Betis, for example, get to re-spend the money in the right way. Um, a lot of it kind of goes to a Brighton and Brighton are always kind of capped in what they are able to do, even with the good money that they get in from transfers. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And even if you think about you know what Newcastle will do in the next few years, we've talked about Newcastle previously and we'll probably do a more in-depth review of Newcastle as a whole because... Eddie Howe is doing one of the most impressive jobs that we've seen in the Premier League in recent years. But they will have the buying power over the next few years once they continue to grow their commercial offering. And they will be able to, you know, have a summer where they spend 300, 400 million on big stars. But the fact that they're doing it on the Champions League stage with Dan Byrne, Sean Longstaff getting goals against PSG, it's, um, you know, Santiago Moon. Munez like or that's like that's right um Santiago Munez like where it's the big nights big European nights at St James's Park and, and I tipped them to finish fourth in their group and it's certainly not going to be the case so it'd be interesting to see how far they go I don't think they can win it um I'd be shocked if they did but yeah it's those types of teams causing the likes of PSG significant trouble is the shocking aspect of this season's Champions League yeah and actually Newcastle there's always a surprise team for the semi-final, maybe even final. Um, Newcastle, certainly on current form, uh, as up there as anyone being able to do it with, uh, obviously, class nights at St. James's Park. So that'll be an interesting run. And we kind of touched on them there, kind of Man United being a bit of a mess as well. So we want to do some uh, how to fixes coming up, kind of how to save your football club. Previously, we've done Everton. Um, and we suggested, obviously, bringing in Sean Dyche at the time, some signings and things like that. And obviously, they've clearly heeded our advice because Everton seem to have turned a corner, playing some much better football relatively for Everton, of course, this season. Um, we did one on Tottenham Hotspur as well. I think whilst he wasn't first in our list, Ange Postacoglu came up as a name. Um, and obviously, they've turned things around. So if your club needs saving, Basically, let us know because we want to do a couple of how to fixes in the next uh, 
in the next month or so. And yeah, we'd be really interested to see what clubs people want to hear from. 100%. You probably would have had Wolves on that list before the season started as well. But what a job Gary Neal's doing. Just a, a quick plug to that one and something we might look at doing further sort of tactical managerial reviews and Guy O'Neill should be high on that list because I've been significantly impressed by the job he's doing to date. Yeah, I think I think he's uh, he's been great. Obviously, it's everything comes with a bit of a caveat at this point in the season, I think, because obviously Wolves do have eight points from eight games. It's not sterling stuff, but most people would have had them in that 17th or 18th slot come the end of the season. So obviously the fact that they're now they're above it and... I mean, even on eight points, you could see Luton or Sheffield United or Bournemouth not actually catching them for the whole rest of the season. So maybe they've done enough to stay up already. Yeah, eight points might be enough to certainly not finish bottom this season anyway. But it's more so if you watch, I mean, they battered United in the first game of the season and should have won that again, if not for a VAR disaster class. Um, they battered us first half and really should have went in half time two or three nil up as well. So they have had really good performances where they haven't come away with any points. And I've been more impressed with Guy O'Neill's tactical switch ups on a game by game basis to get the best out of his team for that individual game. And I, I think he's been incredibly impressive if you consider that he got the job a handful of days before the season actually started. Yeah, I mean, certainly a very good job. And also underrated at Bournemouth last year. I've seen a lot of numbers guys kind of slate that job at Bournemouth because, yeah, they like XG and all those kind of things weren't particularly great. But actually, if you look at purely coming into a club that was in chaos and in transition, ended up doing a really good job. And I think the Wolves owners saw that, that he's not going to have loads of money. Um, there are going to be some leaders ripped out of this squad. How do we get someone who can kind of keep the morale of things high? And yeah, I think... They're, uh, they'll be an interesting one to look at because we don't just want to kind of look at things negatively as well. We want to appreciate a good job when it's been done. I know we've talked about maybe doing an episode on Brighton in that respect before. Um, but yeah, certainly we're not just looking at the Premier League. There's uh, there's some ones to be done around Europe as well. Looking at Villarreal, for example, um, obviously previous Champions League semi-finalists, they're down in 16th at the minute in La Liga. So there's plenty of interesting teams for us to look at. And now that we're well into the season, we can kind of have a bit more of an in-depth look at things. And yeah, I think it'd be interesting um, to see what our fans want to hear. Um, who shall we fix? I know my dad's going to write in and ask for a, a Barnsley episode. So we'll try and appeal more to the masses than that, maybe. But yeah, I was gonna say, be- that sounds like a dinner conversation rather than a podcast. <laughs> I don't think we're going to attract any listeners for that one perhaps certainly certainly one maybe we'll just get one (laughs) a thousand times and that'll be that'll be good for us okay so anything you want to plug john to finish up our episode today yeah we've talked quite a bit about you know follow us on following us on socials in recent weeks and saying that you're gonna um start we're gonna start posting more on tiktok and rob has taken the reins on that one and and started going ham on, on tiktok so go and follow us on tiktok Follow us on Instagram. We'll start pushing out more stuff there as well. And as always, please do share uh, this podcast with your friends, family, whoever you think might want to listen um, up to this podcast on a weekly basis. And as always, thank you for listening. Um, looking forward to pushing out more content on a regular basis. 
and chatting again soon rob that was a nice short catch-up episode really before we hit the international break definitely and yeah just to plug the tiktok a little bit more um if you want to know which footballers you'd most like to date your mum or uh which ones would be best which managers would be best on a night out uh, ranked one to 20 from the premier league go follow that tiktok um yeah you'll, you'll very clearly see who's managing the tiktok by the answers that are in there big Ange isn't certainly not number one choice and that's the only selection sean they should have been number one for yeah well you know i manage it so i can i can pick the answers as i wish to but yeah we're about right. to hit 50k on a video actually so you know that's pretty good going nice nice excellent um and then the, yeah I was going to say the taking out the mum as well. There were some rogue choices in there that were not accredited to me, with Paul Pogba being one of them. But you, this is the this is the level of really in depth tactical content that you're getting on TikTok. So please do go over, give it a follow, give it an engagement, and um, let us know what other ideas you would like us to post on there. Yeah, perfect. Okay, John. Um, until next time, we have been over the top football. Thank you very much. Chat soon, Rob. 